Welcome to Truth's Table with Michelle Higgins, Christina Edmondson, and Akemini Uwan. Hey y'all, welcome to Truth's Table, midwives of culture for grace and truth. This table is built by black women and for black women. So welcome to the table, sisters. How y'all doing? Hey, what's going on? Good, hey. Hey, hey, y'all. <laughs> All right, now, you know, you normally I would ask, you know, how you guys doing? And Michelle would give us her, well, <laughs> But today we have been given a special mission, okay? All right. <laughs> we have been given a mission on some mission impossible type stuff. <laughs> yes, yes with the theme music. <laughs> So our mission, should we choose to accept it, is to pull our fellow brothers and sisters out of the sunken place. So (laughs) Operation Sunken Place Rescue is on the table today. So now before we begin, uh, there's a couple of things ringing in my spirit. The first is (laughs) I just hear somebody saying right now, right now, I hear you in my spirit saying, how are y'all going to pull anybody out the sunken place when you yourselves are in the sunken place? So (laughs) I feel that I feel that I think that that's actually a valid reaction. I mean, let's face it. we, We don't want to launch any kind of rescue mission, presuming that we are the only ones who can do the rescuing. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's important for us to state that this is a communal effort. This is some community rescue operations going on here that once <laughs> I lift up my eyes in the sunken place, and that that might be every time I go into certain spaces to teach, it might be right. every Sunday when I go into certain spaces to experience God in worship. But I realize that brokenness surrounds me. And a lot of times, if you're evangelical and or consider yourself reformed, when you do ministry in those spaces, you are yourself trying to operate in the sunken place and not of it. (laughs) That's who we are. I mean, that's who we're trying to be. And I, I also think that it's important for us to not be so frail and fragile that we get surprised when we mm-hmm. lift up our eyes in the sunken place. I think mm-hmm. we have to say, mm-hmm. hey, um, my reform theology demands that I not be shocked at the depravity of my own nature or at the depravity of my system. And so if you live in a culture that claims to be doing right worship, then you should not be surprised when that culture needs some investigation when that culture needs challenging don't ever be shocked that anything that man makes is broken because that that's why i am reformed because i have the right and the freedom to really say look i know that if god ain't 100 percent being called on and really petitioned to make our worship good and great then depravity is not going to surprise me i think it would be good though for y'all to break down how we're defining the sunken place. Cause I could yeah, go on and yeah, on, yeah, right? Yeah. But like, no, that's good. let's really break that down so people can hear, here's what we mean. 
Yes. So, um, yeah. So here, when we're talking about the sunken place, as you guys, as our listeners know, we have already discussed Get Out. Uh, we did, we did a movie discussion on the movie. And so if you want to get a nice little theological framework and treatment on the sunken place, please listen to that, uh, episode. We had a good time doing that. Um, and yeah, a lot of our listeners seem to really, uh, gravitate toward that episode. So today when we mentioned the sunken, sunken place, we are really actually talking about, we're using it as a synonym for internalized racism. Okay. So when we're saying in this episode, we are using sunken place as a synonym for internalized racism. So really what we're talking about today, what's really on the table today is internalized um, racism. So we thought it would be fun to kind of play with the sunken place um, concept um, as to make well. make it less awkward. To make, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so here's the thing um, about internalized racism. So we are probably going to move um, in and out of the actual uh, structural or systemic uh, implications of it and the psychological impacts of it. So we're going to probably talk about both. And, but I don't, I don't think most people think, oh, think about internalized racism in, in a systemic sense. And so when it manifests, manifests itself systemically, uh, what happens is that there are incentives for people of color in white controlled institutions to support white supremacy by subverting the authority of other people of color who identify racism, name it and call it out and refuse to collude with white supremacy and white privilege. And so these people of color are usually the ones who, uh, well, actually these people of color, are the ones who are recruited, you know, as the ones that are going to, um, discredit, you know, those who are actually standing up against white supremacy and white privilege, they're recruited, um, as, and they are usually the ones that lead the charge to punish right? Those of us who refuse to bow their knee to white supremacy. So that's a way that it actually manifests itself systemically. Um, in, uh, psychologically, it leads to self-hate, right? Um, hatred of your very being, um, the very skin that you're in, uh, which also leads to, which can lead to actual hatred of your fellow, um, brothers and sisters, black brothers and sisters, Asian brothers and sisters, um, whatever racial category you belong to. So that's what we mean. And that's kind of how we're, uh, defining it. So ladies, how would you say you have seen internal racism manifest itself? It could be in, uh, psychologically or systemically hmm. being in the sunken place. I mean, I'm, I know we've seen this. It's real. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> I, mean, I was I'm... just having a conversation on Twitter, uh, today with our brother, Eugene Scott, yeah, our we love you, on Twitter, and mm -hmm. uh, he, he tweeted that his great grandfather, I believe it was, was rejected um, at a hospital. Yes, yes, you know, no care, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that really brought up some similar stories. You know, his, his relative died because he was refused care for the color of his skin, and that brought up similar stories in my mind in the past to where family members that I have. Re um, were rejected, refused care in many situations, and they perished with their children and family members believing it must be our fault somehow. Mm. We must not have asked the right questions. We must not have uh, done our part in studying. And that's, and so I shared that with Eugene, and he said, that's what white supremacy does. This is mm. his tweet. False mm. gospel is preached and goes mainstream. Even the victims of it embrace it as truth. 
that's internalized racism right there. I I am a patient, but uh, I am dying because I failed to be also the doctor. And I think that that's Mm. extremely racial. And so that's just one example in the generations where black folks have lost their own lives thinking that they are at fault for their own murders. Mm. Mm. That's powerful. Wow. And haunting. Mm. Right. Right. Very, very much so. Wow. How about you, C? Anything that comes to mind for you when you think about internalized racism? Yeah, I mean, Michelle just did a good job, I think, of of highlighting um, victim blaming, mm-hmm. kind of the consequences of it, and, and mm-hmm. really the, the how lethal it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think there's so many different things to, to to talk about as it relates to internalized racism. Certainly, uh, the aesthetic components of internalized internalized racism. So, what things look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the wider something looks. Um, the better it is. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't think people, mm-hmm. most people I don't think say that out loud, mm-hmm. but their definition of what is professional, what is classy, um, what is, what is uh, sound, what sound, what right? Sound. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was, I've been, I've been thinking lately about how often American Christians or how many American Christians have Middle Eastern biblical commentaries in their homes. Mm-hmm. Come on. What, what nations or people groups do they listen to that's right <laughs> that right. them interpreting a text um, that was written by people mm-hmm. um, that largely well we know for certain not one person was white american that wrote the scriptures <laughs> so, not right. no, so not it's, just, it's, just, it's just fascinating to think about what voices have authority and why and i'm not saying that there aren't voices that are um that are authoritative that aren't incredibly helpful and thoughtful mm-hmm. and you know all that good mm-hmm. stuff but i just think it's interesting that we don't question mm-hmm. we, that it's almost like neutral so it's not so much an issue of just kind of a we think about internalized racism. We think about white superiority, but also white normalcy. Normalcy yes. that um, whiteness almost doesn't even have um, any identifying markers, but it does, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we just simply accept it as, as normative. And that when black people do things, it's or another group does something, or even if white people do something but do it within their ethnic, their true ethnic construct, then that somehow becomes fringe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's right right so <laughs> so I, I i think as best as i can intellectually understand why even white americans who are actually european americans that's i right. think i understand why it is that they run from that that label too because whiteness has a profound impact on who they are even though it's not an actual true ethnic identity it's more of a racial caste system you know so mm-hmm. um so yeah that's all the yeah. stuff that kind of yeah. starts to bubble up Absolutely. that's good yeah and then when you think about white um normativity it's a bedfellow and it's a byproduct of white supremacy right uh which is just the belief well in a a very basic and rudimentary sense let me say it that way um it it, it, that belief that white you know is superior right and everything else is inferior um with black being at the the very bottom right um and so and you see and this is a global phenomenon it's not something that's just here in america but it's 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 worldwide Mm -hmm. that's what causes african women to want to bleach their skin okay Mm -hmm. um on the continent 
it, it's the very thing that causes Asian women to want to bleach their skin is right. You know, um, I remember, I think it was last year, I think there was a, an ad, oh, and that, um, I forgot exactly where, um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the country was. It was an Asian country, but I can't remember, um, which one it was exactly, but there was an ad that, that talks about when you're white, you win, you know? And so yeah. I had a picture of an Asian woman, um, yeah. who was wow. black, 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 black. <laughs> Black knee oh black as black as as this microphone, um, and then there was a um, a split screen with her as white Asian, but but with white skin, you know, because when you're mm. white, you win. I think was the slogan of the article. CNN reported it last year, and it was a big. I don't know if you guys remember that, but <laughs> it was a big brouhaha. And we'll get into it when we talk about colorism. But but yeah. that's one of the ways that white supremacy we internalize that message. Um, and it manifests itself even, you know, psychologically. And so, um, and so we end up, there's so many messages and incentives, right. For us to, um, to, to, to gravitate towards, uh, whiteness, you know, and to eschew blackness. I remember, uh, growing up little girl, um, and I don't know, somewhere in elementary school and somebody would be like, well, you got to do this. You know, and, uh, and I would quit. Me and my girlfriends, we would quit back and be like, "I ain't got to do nothing but stay black and die." Right? Like, wow, all right, that's a dark little girl. All right, <laughs> but what? But what's it? What? What are we getting at here? Okay, the 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 latter part of the statement is obvious, right? We all finna die. You know, so that's that's that. Uh, but the former part of the statement is, "I ain't got to do nothing but stay black." What does that mean? But that there's a there there are people that don't stay black or that don't want to stay black because there's there are rewards for not doing so. You know, there there are not any incentives um, for staying black. Right. Because you're you belong to a people group that's oftentimes been oppressed, disenfranchised um, and and um, discriminate discriminated against, you know, in multiple different ways. And so there's always this this tug and pull to, to either eschew that, you know, and try to blend in, right. And to adopt what everybody else adopts as normal and neutral mm-hmm. and, and esteem those people over against maybe your own people. And so there's just all, there's just this fight everywhere. It's in the, you see it in the church, you see it in the media, right. you see That's it, right. you hear it in the news, you hear it in the music videos, right. Even the hip hop music videos where you see this preference for this, racially ambiguous woman but you don't see you know anybody that looks like a lupita right you don't see anybody that looks like me Uh-oh. you know Uh-oh. and so so it's everywhere it's pervasive and that and that's the nature of internalized racism it's you're always there's this there's this war within the soul will i succumb you know to to the outward forces that are telling me to hate my blackness or will mm-hmm. i love it and and will i um am i okay with paying for the consequences of not hating myself because they hate me. Right. right, right. And that, and that's, that's the real question that I think we have to wrestle with. So, um, so I think that we've talked about what it looks like structurally and psychologically. Um, what would you say, why, why does this matter though? Like biblically, why does it, why does it matter? Number one, that somebody, um, maybe hates themselves or has that. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Who, who has imbibed that 
internalized racism? Why does it matter? And what are some steps would you guys say, uh, that, that we can give, you know, to our listeners to, to identify this and begin to uproot it? Because let's be honest, no, I don't know anybody that consciously says, yes, I hate myself. I hate my blackness and I, I, I hate other black people. I've, I've not heard, uh, or known anybody to actually admit that. Um, and, and so what are, and, and we're not expecting somebody to say, yeah, that was me. You know, um, though, if you're very, if, if you feel that, Some if you feel like that, admitting that, God. you say that for sure. Praise the Lord. You got freedom, right? Cause the gospel can cover that. Um, so yeah. So what are biblically, what are the implications? Why does it matter? You know, uh, does it really matter, right? That somebody has internalized this racism and what are some action steps to help, um, our, our, our friends and our fellow brothers and sisters to get out, you know, of the sunken place with regard to internalized racism. Hmm. I know <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> well, I want to interject just quickly. Um, I feel like there's, Obviously, there's an Imago Day issue here. Sure, so our sure. resident therapist um, should <laughs> right. <on> that. <laughs> but, but I think risk assessment is, is part of the problem. And it, it makes mm. it uh, an important factor theologically. And I know that just saying that, it sounds so random. But, but how, how can we ignore the loss of the soul uh, for the sake of gaining the whole world. I don't think mm. we can ignore the theological implications there. And I, I think it's important for us to say that when, when I add up the risk of speaking truth, the things that might falter are all artificial. The things I might lose are wonderful and I really want them. <laughs> but, but in comparison to the joy of depending on God, the satisfaction of having nothing by which I can claim importance aside from God's image. When mm. I add up the risks of speaking truth, uh, the things that I lose are foe in comparison to the things that I might gain. And so I think it's important for us to, to say or to acknowledge the reverse as well, that the things that our brothers and sisters might lose if they demonize each other, the things they might lose feel real. That stuff, I mean, everybody's sunken place is different. For instance, somebody's sunken place might be their matrix where mm. that junk is real. You have money to lose. You have prestige to lose. And when those are the things that are the bolster pieces of your life, that are the buttresses rather of your mm -hmm. life, then um, you aren't trying to tear down your cathedral that you built to the God of whiteness, whether or mm -hmm. not you know that it is whiteness that you worship rather than God. Mm -hmm. It hurts. It hurts to speak up. And so sometimes it is easier for us to count the cost and then decide not to pay it because the debt that you will owe to white normativity is a lot more painful than honestly, than speaking truth and physically suffering the way that some other folks do. So I just quickly just wanted to point out that risk assessment piece mm. is part of what um, really drives a wedge between us. So maybe us being sympathetic 
to what even our foul eyes and or detractors hate about us. Maybe if we could be sympathetic to it, I don't know, we might be able to tear it down. Just doing family business. This is about POC, foul eyes specifically. Oh, okay. So you're talking about, okay. Yep. You're talking about Mm -hmm. people of color. So maybe um, whether they be black, even Mm -hmm. non-black people Mm -hmm. of color. Gotcha. As far as those phallies that you're, you're um, thinking about. Gotcha. Okay. Great, great, great. Thank you for that. And then now when you're speaking about risks, what, what are you, what are you thinking? What do you have in mind when you think about the losses that people can take, you know, for, for maybe not bowing their knee? Um, to white normativity and white supremacy. What are some, just off the top of your head, any thoughts on what those risks might be? Yeah, I mean, financial. I mean, that's a big mm-hmm. one, right? You know, we lose, mm-hmm. there, there may be donors involved. Um, obviously, I've experienced similar stuff. Um, yeah. There are donors involved. There are also opportunities. There are platforms that you lose. And then there's um, general, so Christina laid out earlier that, normativity uh when when it's subject to whiteness when whiteness is the standard then how we talk whether or not we code switch um we we get respect and we get a space a right to speak or a right to be called authoritative Mm -hmm. if we sound correct and that's a lot to let go of so Mm -hmm. just those few things Mm -hmm. come to mind Mm -hmm. that's good that is good um, thank you for unpacking that for us. How about you, C? Any thoughts on um, just, you know, the biblical implications of, you know, holding to internalized racism and maybe some action steps to help folks? Get yeah, out? so the scripture, the scripture assumes that people, so you look at from a, maybe a more Augustinian perspective. So we are created to love. We have disordered loves, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we are we are to love our Maker. He is love, uh, but because of sin, you know, our loves are wacky, mm-hmm. and um, and quite frankly, um, Scripture still gives us this this command though to love others as we love ourselves, even with our disordered loves. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we, you know, it's amazing how Scripture will give you commands that you absolutely cannot fulfill within your own strength (laughs) right like the bible is full of those um things that you just cannot do in your own strength every command that we have is they are commands that require the empowerment of the holy spirit to be to, to be working in you to fulfill those commands to be obedient to god and that includes the ability to love your neighbor as you love yourself yeah that assumes that you have the capacity to love who you are, to love yourself. Yeah. And in as much as we hate ourselves because of whatever demographic variable or um, painful experience or whatever it might be, that is going to limit our ability to obey that particular command because it assumes that you are going to treat people well based on how you would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And, and it came in earlier, you said, you know, you can't think of a lot of people who might say that they overtly are in the sunken place, that they overtly hate blackness or black people that are African-Americans. And I would say, I don't know about that. I've, and maybe mm-hmm. because I'm in a, in a clinical setting at times where I used to be several years ago, mm-hmm. I, I have multiple uh, recollections of mm-hmm. being with young people in particular who pretty much say that verbatim. <laughs> um, I remember working with a young man uh, when I was 
when I was down south, African American um, kid, he must have been about maybe twelve or thirteen, and I remember him throwing around the N word, and um, and I kind of looked at him and I said, "Oh, I said, well, I know you." I said, "Well, you're not talking about me," <laughs> or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to mm-hmm. And he was like, "Well, this is what we are, Miss Christina." This is what we are. Mm. I can think about working with um, mm. a, a young a young college student entering at, at her first year and her telling me, you know, I'm absolutely sick of black people. I'm just mm. I'm so tired of all black people. I just I don't want to be around any more black people. And and like, you know, I was mm. like, well, number one, I'm black. <laughs> That's <laughs> one. I was confused. I said, do you not want to be in my office? I don't understand. But I mean, I think. <laughs> I actually do have stories of people saying of people saying exactly what we're talking about, um, and being deeply embarrassed of blackness, being deeply, deeply embarrassed, being deeply resentful of blackness, and so it's very similar to the dynamic that you see happen sometimes in abusive families, where if you have a stereotypically an abusive father, that the kids at some point in their development they actually identify more with the abuser than the victim. And they seek to emulate and identify with the construct who has power. Same thing happens in terms of a racialized abusive system. You will have people who would rather identify with an oppressive structure than to identify with the people who are being victimized and marginalized by the structure. And that certainly happens with people of color too, which is why our goal is not to swing from uh, some type of white supremacy to black supremacy, right? Yes, um, but yes. but rather to be pro imago day people, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yeah, so I would say all, all of that is kind of is oozing out of that self hate, and we just cannot obey God's law uh, to love each other well if we don't love ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. That is yeah. good. Yeah, because yeah, that's. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> you have to be able to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and and anyone who says that they love God but hate their brother is a liar, right? Um, and I think that right there is actually an implication, right, of, of why internalized racism matters uh, biblically. Um, I think ultimately what happens is that there's a couple of things that are in play. What we do is we, we when somebody is... Um, in this particular sunken place, uh, you begin to judge yourself based on white normativity uh, and not on what God says in his word about who you are. Um, and then, and, and, and one of the results of that is what you end up doing is that you end up calling, uh, bad what God calls good, which means that you're not agreeing with God about his wisdom when he decided to actually make you a black man or a black woman. Uh, and knowing that he said that that is good, you know, that, that is not, uh, an Im- your blackness is not an impact of the fall. It's evidence of God's goodness. Um, and you, and, and, and people need to embrace this truth. And I think, um, I, I, I think churches all across America and the globe really, uh, need to really do some work on theological um, anthropology and really, um, doing some work on the body and what it means, you know, that we are all, um, different ethnicities and why God did that. Um, and the reason why we know that it's good is that we retain our ethnicities in a new, new heavens and new earth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, nothing bad will enter, uh, that realm. And so that's how we know our blackness is good and is in the image of God. So I think that's, that's really important for us to understand. Um, and, and just understanding that 
an implication of internalized racism is hatred of self, right? And then also in turn, hating your own uh, fellow brother or sister um, within your other racial class or class or ethnicity, right? Um, and, and that's not self-contained. That's, it's not just you just hating yourself. You're hating th those within your own um, racial or ethnic um, family. And so, and, and what does that say about your relationship with God? You know, and if you're not, I remember Dr. Micah Edmondson saying this, if you are not your brother's keeper, you are your brother's killer. There's like no in-betweens here. Either you love your brother and you love God or you hate your brother and you hate God. Like there's, the scriptures are pretty clear about those things. And so it's something that we really um, need to take very seriously. I think it's something, I think some action steps, some ways that we can undo some of this is... Um, Prayer. I know for me, um, for, for psychologically, it manifested in my hatred of my own skin mm. as a dark-skinned woman. I don't want to go too deep into it because we will talk about colorism. Um, but I'm sp I'm speaking as one who was in this particular sunken place um, because I know what it means to hate yourself and to hate the very skin that you're in and despise um, and, and and hope you know that you were lighter or hope that you were something else. And so, uh, and so I think prayer is huge, um, as far as lifting our gaze from ourselves into God and, and asking him to show us, um, you know, uh, just the beauty, you know, and in his wisdom in making us, uh, uh, black and beautiful, right. And owning that and loving it, uh, searching the scriptures, to actually see what does the scriptures actually say about my blackness. That's what I, that's a lot of what I did um, to undo and to decolonize my own mind um, because it had been colonized. Um, and I think in worship, worship is um, a, a, a way that we can heal, right? From self-hate and also hate of uh, those who actually hate us and hate of, of the, of the other, the other person. And it helps to destroy the, the, um, the ideology of white supremacy. That's also embedded in our own minds and white normativity in our minds. Cause the two are bedfellows. And so I, those are some practical ways. Um, I think some other ways we can is just by putting images of ourselves affirmations, um, before ourselves, because we need something that's going to counteract um, what we see, see the, I, I also say the iconic, the iconography in the church, um, is mm -hmm. also one of the greatest, um, ways that we, that, uh, internalized racism is perpetuated. So Jesus looks like a white Gerber baby, um, on the church's, uh, what do you call a uh, program every Sunday growing up? That's what I saw, you know? And so then in turn, you open up your Bible you think Sarah is a white woman. You think Abraham's a white woman. They're not. There's not a white person in that Bible. You know, and that's not to say that white, uh, that, you know, that our European brothers and sisters are deficient at all. Not at all. They're in the image of God and made beautifully as well. But the reality is that we need to see um, iconography that really is accurate and actually paints the people as they actually are in the Bible. Uh, so that would be uh, my my own action steps that I would recommend for our listeners. Do y'all have anything in, that you want to add to that? Yeah, I think the importance of worship really can't be overstated in part because when you believe what you're saying, when you mm -hmm. sing songs, when you say the Apostles' Creed, is that, look, I, I am not in charge, that I do not get to define what normal is, nor do I get to tell 
other people who experience different ethnic norms, that they are able to define it. And so we are mm. actually embracing what the Lord has defined as a new reality. And that really, it should transform us. It should renew our minds, which will automatically decolonize them. So rehearsing, really practicing the presence of God enables me to practice the same grace that he has shown me to show that grace to other people and to desire them. I believe the Lord desires us. And I, I think that we fail if we don't desire each other as God has made us. So worship yeah. is, a, is a really solid piece of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just going to add that, like, just my little last two cents is that, um, yeah, agreeing with God, like mm-hmm. agreeing with God about, about who I am, agreeing mm-hmm. with God about who my neighbor is. And people ask me all the time, they're like, well, how could you... Um, I guess the thing, folks who are in the helping profession, people oftentimes are like, that seems exhausting. Why would you want to do that? Why, why would you want to be around people? And, and, and what I say to them is that people are the most fascinating, beautiful, um, spiritual, and complex beings on this earth. Mm-hmm. We don't see ourselves that way, right? Because mm-hmm. we're distorted. Mm-hmm. But people... Um, Christ died for people and um, of all kinds of people, right? Um, And every last one of them did not deserve, including myself, the work that Christ did. I think that reorients us to to say if God, if if God can send his son to die for these people who represent every nation and tribe, then clearly the, the tribe or nation that I'm a part of, I need to find value in it. Amen. find respect in it and I need to agree with God in terms of how God sees his redeemed people who are a a treasure and a prize being sanctified by the Holy Spirit and I think um, self-hate really is um, a hatred of the image that we bear Um, Mm -hmm. and so we have to we have to you know realign our loves mm-hmm mm-hmm Yes, yes. And, and treat it, it, it is a, as a, a stronghold. It's something to really take before the Lord in prayer as well. And he will and he delights, you know, to answer prayer um, and he wants you to love who he's made you to be. And uh, I believe that he will answer that. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, so much for um, just talking about uh, internalized racism and kind of pointing um, at the ways that it manifests itself and ways that we can actually practically um, help uh, to uh, help identify it, help our brothers and sisters to identify it and um, hopefully pull by God's grace um, that they'll be pulled out of that because it's not something that can really be done in our own strength. So thank you for opening that up and, um, and sharing that with us. And we want to invite our listeners. Uh, we want to, well, first of all, we want to thank you for sitting at the table with us this week. Uh, please let's keep the conversation going. Do tweet us your thoughts uh, about, uh, operation sunk in place rescue, <laughs> uh, usually using the hashtag truth table, follow 
follow us on Twitter and Instagram at truthstable or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel podcast player. Truth's Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York. And we have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth's Table. Bye, y'all.